it's my absolute pleasure and delight to welcome the father of prog rock, the man who can make a guitar sing. It's no other than Mr. Steve Hackett. Happy New yeah. Year, Steve. Thank you. Happy New Year to you too. Are you well? Looking. Yeah, I'm. 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 I'm pretty good. Yeah. Um, You're looking well. Very happy at the moment. Um, very productive period. I know we can't do shows, but and there's been a lot of recording going on, a lot of writing and a lot of playing. So um, music goes on in the it shadows. Has to, end, it has to, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it has to keep going. Um, yeah. So you have a new album then set for release on the 22nd of this month under a Mediterranean sky. And it's a fully instrumental solo acoustic album, um, yeah. really celebrating the beauty and experience of your extensive travels with your lovely wife, Jo. Uh, yes, it's it's got this Mediterranean theme and um, lots of, I like to think, different styles of music from around the Mediterranean. So although it's... Um, acoustic it's also orchestral and there's other instruments that uh, might be less familiar to people so i'm i'm pleased to be uh, a, a painting with music painting with sound rather than with um, with pictures but hopefully that will convey some of the ideas that we came across when we were on our travels um, sure yeah it sounds like you had a lot of fun making it too yes it did yes uh, uh, it was um it was great to be able to do that. Uh, it took a couple of months to record. Um, we had some performances from other people on it who were amazing players. And um, and so, you know, it's it's a kind of uh, um, a bit of a festival of, of virtuosity from other people. And uh, I'm very proud of it. I love the way it sounds. And um, I have to resist playing it to myself every day and get on with new stuff. So. <laughs> you should play it. Keep playing it. It is wonderful. Yeah. The, the opening track, Medina, the walled yeah. city or, or the silent city, it's a really um, dramatic start, isn't it? Yes, it is, yeah. This, this kind of yeah. grandeur, you know, of ancient Malta. It sounds to me um, almost like a film score. Yes. It's, well, indeed, yes. Um, uh, I think... Music that works visually, that you're hearing, and but it's creating pictures. Um, there's only one way to describe it, which is as as cinematic. And um, I'm very happy. I mean, I have used, uh, or rather, I've had things used for film um, in the past. Um, it's often documentary makers who tend to pick up on the stuff. And um, when you think of instruments like the duduk and it seems to conjure um, uh, these kind of landscapes, bleak, um, sometimes unforgiving landscapes, but, but, but magic nonetheless. And so I think filmmakers like that sort of thing. And there's also the, um, the other aspect of, of, you know, sort of romantic music and, um, and everything that that, that conveys. Um, yeah, I do I'm, think with the romance side of things that you say, though, I do think the album itself is kind of love weaves through that album, doesn't it? Uh, I like to think so, yeah. Um, um, I think I'm probably getting more romantic with um, with old age, to be honest. You know, the older I get, it's, um, I think, well, don't hold back, you know, uh, uh, Reveal that if if you if you feel that, then do it, and don't worry about trying to be contemporary, uh, up to date, and all of that. So um, 
I've indulged that pleasure for quite some time, even in my journey. Sure. Um, they were, they were, they were moments of that. And um, and what I like about quite a lot of other other writers is the fact that they might go back in time and, and celebrate an earlier era. And then, of course, it all becomes timeless. When you visited these places, did the tunes then sort of enter your head or this idea for composition? How did it work in that respect? Well, um, for instance, visiting Egypt and various other places around the desert, Morocco and, and Jordan, um, there was something or there is something that always happens when we're in that area. Um, the first time I visited the Sphinx, we were just there for a day. It was just a, a um, it's one of those Rupert Bear trips. We were there for the day and then whisked away. And uh, But when I was opposite the Sphinx, I thought this has got to be the most exotic place on earth for, for, for people from where we're from. And um, I was just hearing music the whole time. I was writing it down. And then we had a much more extensive trip to Egypt, travelled up the Nile, and and it was just gorgeous. And so much of it is unspoilt and still there. That's that's the thing. Um, you could have been seeing the same views that Antony and Cleopatra looked at. Um, so it's that thing, you know. It's it's quite humbling in that respect. It's lovely, yeah. yeah. It, 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 it's wonderful. It's tree-lined. They haven't surrounded it with with industry. They've protected that area. Mm. And um, was it quite course, haunting as well? Oh yes, yes, yes. And so um, once again, although I didn't have a guitar with me at the time, I didn't have an instrument. I was writing stuff down, thinking, yeah, this melody, this melody might work. And so with the tracks, the Rocco, third track. Um, that to me is the most evocative, I think, of all the places. Trying to paint it again, you know, uh, trying to recall it, what the impressions that it made upon you, just visiting sites that looked like they were painted yesterday, so fresh and and beautiful. And um, it just screams music at me. Sure. So when um, you decided then to produce it, you worked with um, a chap, a longtime friend, didn't you, Roger King, because you yes. wanted to get this idea of the, you know, the classical, the world music, but this orchestra as well within that. Yeah. So how did you go about recording that at the time? We were in this sort of crazy national well, lockdown and it must have been difficult as well to get all that together. Well, yes, you know, we had a small team um, that made a very big noise in the end. Like you said, you know, the way it starts is, is with is the kind of symphonic proportions. Um, and I don't apologise for that. Um, Absolutely not. <laughs> Roger did, did a wonderful job on the orchestral arrangements. And mm. um, I don't know how he did it. He, 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 he seems to work his magic. Um, and um, so I'm... I'm, I'm um, I'm a fan of everything that he did on on the album. He managed to get great sounds with every instrument, including the guitar. But but you know, conjuring an orchestra from very little was um, an extraordinary feat. I think. Yeah, uh, indeed, so it, it was. It was um, I just marvelled at it the the whole time. So it's lovely when you're working on a project and you're falling in love with it the same time when it's really working out and it feels charmed so 
as much as it's a struggle to get the fingers around this kind of complex stuff, um, once you've done it, you know, there's that sense of, of um, uh, oh, wow, th th this feels really good. And, of course, the influence of Joe that you mentioned, my, my, my wife, who, who wrote um, uh, uh, parts of it, um, she said, I, I think, you know, this time you, you're going to do an acoustic album and you don't want to make it sound like all, all the others. You can, you know, take it into um, exotic areas and, and aspects of world music and all of that. And she, she felt that it was important that it should separate itself out from all the other things that I'd done in, in that way. So I suppose in some ways it's closer in spirit to some of the rock albums I've done with, with world instruments. Mm. Um, it doesn't feel like, when you say acoustic album, oop, file under cardboard in the cupboard. No, it's not like that. It's, um, it's big and lush and, and, um, and lovely. I lose myself and, and I hope other people will as well. I really think that they will. Uh, was it all consuming at the time? Because you do have that real attention to detail, don't you? Sort of by your own admission, you're a detail freak. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you knew when it was ready. Yes. Um, funnily enough, it's Rob Townsend who plays on a couple of the tracks on, on this uh, with sax and flute. Um, he... His phrase is that the devil is in the detail, and um, he's, he's right, of course. He's a very detailed, accomplished player, um, the most amazing improviser I have ever come across. Amazing stuff. He never does a bad solo. It's just, it's always a case of, here's a really good one, and here's a great one, and you're dealing with an embarrassment of riches whenever he works on, on something. Um, so I think other people are important on this, is what I'm trying to say. And then, of course, there's Christine Townsend, which is his namesake, but they're no relation, but Christine Townsend, who plays wonderful violin, sometimes unaccompanied, um, and wonderful viola, because her dad was a viola player, and when he retired, he gave her the instrument that he played in. And this thing is as deep as a cello, the, uh, the, the viola. It's a lovely, lovely sound, so... We work with her when we want things to be absolutely authentically um, orchestral. And uh, I've been working with her for many years and very kindly. She heard that I wasn't well over, over, over Christmas and, and she turned up one night on the doorstep. She said, I baked some bread for you. And Aww. I thought that was absolutely lovely. In fact, I must give her a call to say thank you. you know, Thanks for thinking of, of me. Thanks for the bread. Yeah, that's yes, kind. Absolutely lovely, yes, great. Uh, lovely yeah. folk. Um, yeah. Let's talk about Andalusian Heart. This is a beautiful yeah. track, this flamenco-infused style. Um, very romantic. Uh, yeah. Um, it's funny. Uh, that was one of the first to be written. Um, I visited Spain several times, um, usually as a player, but sometimes as a tourist. And um, we got to visit the Alhambra and the um, parts of Andalusia, the um, Sacramonte, the sacred mountain where the gypsies live and work and play and dance in the caves. And um, that was just amazing. They, they look like they're playing and dancing and singing 
for their very lives every time. It's just, it's so full on. And I was talking mm. to mm. one of the guitarists there and he was showing me one or two moves on the guitar. And I think, I thought, oh, that's good. I don't quite understand how it works. And I practiced and practiced it. And months later... Those fingers move fast, don't they? They do move fast. You're really getting your fingers moving. (laughs) They they do move move fast at times. Um, A lot of it is the use of the right hand, that you'd think that it was all left-hand work, nipping around the fretboard. But I noticed years and years ago when I was watching um, the late, great Andres Segovia on TV, I think in the 1960s, black and white TV, and there are all these notes coming out, and it seemed like he was hardly moving. And I realized he was doing it practically everything with barre shapes, with this left hand, but the right hand was doing so much work, so much complex stuff. And um, and so I think I decided right then and there that I was going to have to uh, be a fingerstyle player. And so over, over the years, I've absolutely marginalized the plectrum. And even when I play electric, I very rarely use... Use a, use, a, use a pick. Um, so that nice. makes me an old funny belly. I'm sorry. First of all, when I was a kid, I thought, yeah, it's all about electric guitar. That's great. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you need a spectrum for that. And playing with the, with, you know, the right hand fingers, it's, it's, um, it's unmanly. It's a bit like knitting. Real men don't knit. <laughs> <laughs> I corrected my thoughts there. And uh, yeah, you can do so much more when you've got this hand working. But most rock players, Choose not to. No, that's right. That's fair enough. Uh, each to his own. Um, but there was just something that clicked. And even now, you know, I'm, 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 I'm working away. And if you play for a certain number of hours each day, certain things, they start to reveal themselves to you, despite yourself. You will change position. You'll, you'll, you'll get bored with what you can already do and move on to other things. Uh, some days I don't. Some days it's just scales up and down, same shapes. Oh, not getting anywhere, but at least I've kept the fingers nimble. But um, over well, the years, I don't see it, it? as a challenge. As a Sorry? That's important, isn't it? You know, to keep those fingers working. But then all this discovery yeah. as well, that comes with trying out different things. That's what, that's what makes you such a yeah. phenomenal player. Well, it's strange. You know, I, I never really used a capo much. Um, because you know you use a capo to folk players tend to yeah. use it, and funny enough, flamenco players use it quite a bit. And uh, I realised that they do it in order to produce a different sound, you know, um, to find the sweet spot, which is full on for them, the, the flamenco players. But then I've noticed that if you play softly with a capo, it starts to sound more harp-like, and those aspects. I look for as well. I look for the full-on thing as well. Yeah, the salvos, bam, 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 bam. But there's this other aspect. So, you know, guitar's good at this sort of dynamic range. Nylon guitar, nylon strings. Not the thing It's all about the nylon strings, isn't it? That's it. Nylon strings, um, light-gauge nylon strings, for those who are are serious about it. I had a late, late great friend, a wonderful guitarist called um, Theo Cheng, who um, showed me many moves on on, on the guitar, cross string trilling and four fingered cross string trilling, um, and uh, it doesn't have to be for the anoraks. This, you know, even classical players don't get this stuff right, you know. Um, but there were all these other things that were 
were kicking in, things that he could do that I couldn't do and things I could do that I was passing on to him, up to Theo, who, who died quite recently. And um, uh, this idea of the guitar becoming the harp, mm. um, again, you, you, need, you need to have a good right, <laughs> you need to have a good right hand because you, you're fooling people into thinking that it's yeah, this endless sort of uh, scale from, from top to bottom. But um, I'm still nuts about That's it. That's really you know? interesting. I've bought people silly with this, you know. Um, but I know I other people, you know, who, who've been playing for years and years and years and don't fall out of love with the, with the process. Ah. Um, That's yeah. really interesting. Um that idea of discovery as well you see you always want to find out new things Ooh. different sounds that you can make how yeah. you can make a guitar it's not just the sound of a guitar but what else yep. can it become and I think yep. you know that's demonstrated beautifully throughout that album as well the different transitions the journey that it takes you on and the album itself you can just lie on the sofa close your eyes takes you almost into a meditative state really doesn't it I think it. Is, I think it is a, a a record for drifting off to um, mm. those early albums that I heard. Um, as I said, I, I mentioned the Segovia work a lot um, yeah. when I heard him playing the Bach stuff. Um, very early albums that were recorded, records that were recorded in the nineteen twenties and nineteen thirties. Um, um, but you know, still you know, extraordinary playing, uh, mm. extraordinary technique complete devotion to the art of it you know um he figured that the guy probably did nothing else but play and uh, it is important to have a life outside <laughs> outside it well of course yeah. and and really you can show that well through your travel because this is all about the travel this is the journey through the music of the travels that you've done and you do love to travel don't you you've always had an adventurous yeah. spirit even as a young boy in 1950s London, you were seeking adventure, even as a small boy, yeah. weren't you? Well, it's a funny thing. We lived in Pimlico, and then when the 1960s kicked in, um, I was I was still very young, you know, um, 10, 11, 12, and um, I thought, you know, wandering around the corner to the places where, in a few years' time, the Beatles and the Stones were going to haunt and live and 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 show up and I, you know, pass the old rock star in the street when I was still a schoolboy. Um, and um, but that inspired you, though, didn't it? Well, they they were. I think the Beatles and Stones were, were very um, were very inspiring at that time, um, and 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 still are now in in um, so many ways, which is why their records still sell like crazy. People still go nuts over the stones. It's amazing that they're basically still doing it. And I like to think that they will be after lockdown, you know, uh, a wonderful. They'll keep going. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it, it was a great time growing up, I think, in the 1960s with all those sort of sonic developments that were going on in rock. Guitar sounds were starting to explode. Hendrix was, was due to explode onto our... our our screens. So I, I had two very good teachers, Andre Segovia, Jimi Hendrix, even though I didn't meet either of them. Um, but totally inspiring. Yeah, I saw them live. And that was, uh, that was extraordinary. Yeah. 
And you decided, I think one of your defining moments when you saw Jagger strutting down the King's Road, you thought, I want to be in a band. I'm going to play guitar and get myself in a band. Yes, well, at the time, um, as I say, I was just wandering back from school one day. And just as I was about to hit Sloan Square, um, where King's Road really ends, you know, for the for the, for the idea of the swinging 60s type thing, I'm sure he just had, had emerged from Peter Jones, and he looked very dapper. He had Ray, Ray-Ban sunglasses, blue blazer, grey trousers, dressed very, very straight. Uh, but, um, you know, at, at a time when I was about, God, would I have been 15, 16? I don't know. And he would have been about, you know, 20, 21. And, um, and uh, of course, I was a huge fan of their music, but I, I never was the kind of guy who was going to go out and say, oh, I recognise you. I've got your records. Please sign, please sign this for me. I always thought, yeah, you know, give people their privacy. Um, and if someone introduces you, that's fine. And I did get to meet a lot of my heroes later in in, um, in, in later life, including sure. Jagger and and, um, yeah. and, um, and Paul McCartney. Uh, but each time, you know, I thought, you've got to wait to be introduced, you know, uh, otherwise you might get the brush off and... Um, and all the rest, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, of course, they were they were trailblazers, and and that was that was heady days. But um, they're still going, aren't they? You know, it's tenacious. I mean, talking about early heroes, there was John Mayall. I used to go and see John Mayall playing. And John Mayall, of course, you know, father of the British or grandfather of the British R and B scene, the blues scene. When you think of the just the guitarists alone that passed through that band, you know, Eric Clapton, Peter Green. Mick Taylor, um, in, in in the very early days, I'm sort of school for rock. There it was, and I got to meet him when he was just a few days short of his 80th birthday. And he said to me, um, uh, "Yeah, I'm going to be playing a gig on my 80th birthday." And I remember seeing 70th birthday celebration on on video, um, and thinking, "Oh, isn't that um, isn't that amazing that he's doing that?" At that age, and of course, when when I was a kid, when I was in my mid-teens, we used to go and see him playing live, and um, we would say, you know, he's thirty-three. Isn't it amazing that he can still get up there and do that at his age? <laughs> That's what we're thinking. Now uh-huh. here's me at seventy, yeah. thinking, you know, um, yeah, you know, the real people that are the real thing. That's that's the. Uh, it's that longevity, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is yeah. the longevity. Um, you know, people like BB King who were still doing it, even though they were in a wheelchair. You know, that's and it's passion. Never give up. Never it's give that in. passion, that driving force. It keeps you young. I think it keeps you definitely. I can't understand people who aren't passionate about anything. I know. You know I don't understand that. Whatever I don't get it, that. No, no. So you're driven. There you are, yes. and um, and my mum, bless her, is about to. Turn ninety-one. June. June. That's right. And my, and uh, she went to the doctors. She got. She's one of the first people to have gotten the jab in this country. Wow. And the doctor said, "Oh, I can't believe your age. I thought you were about my age, fifty-seven." And of course, she was glowing from that. Bless from the, her. From the compliment, and she Aww. she loves that. So she's still full of life, and she absolutely is passionate about everything 
she hates the lockdown, of course, because, you know, this is a time when she can't um, uh, visit her friends and family, and it's so important to her, a very gregarious person. Likes a drink, likes a celebration. Party girl still. Um, Fantastic. <laughs> she's keeping it young. So, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, bless her. Um, so let's talk about your Genesis days, yeah. if we may. Sure. The road to Genesis, it was sort of five years of waiting for someone to respond to your ad. And then I love the ad, your revised ad that you put in Melody Maker in 1970. Guitarist writer seeks receptive musicians determined to strive beyond existing stagnant musical forms. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I had Winston Churchill write that for me. No, I was trying to appeal to the idea of ideals and let's get into the fight and all that. And it caught Peter Gabriel's eye. Great. So that's what got that's really what got me the gig with with Genesis. So you might think a humble ad doesn't make any difference, but maybe it's the power of the word if you can Definitely. get across it. Even you weren't then, sure either then, were you? You had to you, you had a chat with your mate down at the um, the Chelsea Potter was your life about to change yes. you know it yes. was the right decision he talked me into it he said he said you're not doing anything better right now are you and I couldn't find I couldn't I couldn't argue with that and you're not doing anything better right now are you and he was absolutely right because I was so unsure of if you know not only was I going to team up with these guys but you know we were going to be living together and uh, and they were it was all a big commitment school. it was it was a big commitment and it means you get you're going to leave home you're going to do this you're going to do that and um and you're going to be on stage playing professionally in, in, in front of people so um it had all been a dream up to then and then suddenly it was going to become a reality and you're um having to um make that leap Good old Frank Murphy, though, for twisting your arm. That was Frank Murphy, photographer, very talented young photographer who was at the time. It's been so interesting chatting to you. I could talk to you for hours, honestly. Well, thank you so much, Steve. Great talking to you, Claire. Yes, you too. Thank you so much. Hey, good luck with the album. And it's it's a brilliant album. It's been an absolute delight talking to you. And maybe we'll get to talk about the book another time. I think so, yes. It'll be another time. Thank you. All the best. Bye-bye for now.